0: Hi, everybody. I'm Stephanie Hansen. Hi, I'm Stephanie March. And we are here for the Weekly Dish Second Helpings podcast. Right. We are live at the Nicollet Island Pavilion in Minneapolis, we are a radio show that is also a podcast that happens on My Talk one hundred seven point one, and if you are hearing us, we are live from Minneapolis from the Women's Chef Conference. We are, uh, yeah,
1: Minneapolis is, is the second year that the Women's Chefs and Restaurant Tours Conference is in Minneapolis, and we're so grateful to you know the organizations to be coming back to for a second year because it really is very cool to see the evolution of the conference itself, but also. To see so many women, talented women and and focused women in the food industry coming together to kind of address issues, but really sort of network and explore, you know, ideas and get help on things. It's really it's really interesting.
0: Yeah, um, we had the opening night preview party last night and they had a lot of the top talent there. Mm hmm. It was so great to see so many of the women James Beard Award finalist chefs. Mm-hmm. Um, we had Ann Kim was there, Diane Moa, uh, Karen Tomlinson, Kristen Wynn. Also, um, I got a chance to chat with Marco Zappia. Just a lot of great mixologists. It was a super fun event, and this is going to be just a great conference today.
1: And it was that was a nice thing because that you know even though this is women chefs and restaurateurs, what I liked about the cocktail party last night was that you know it was really the city's finest kind of coming yeah. up to celebrate everybody, and that included men chefs and it included a lot of people. It and it was nice to see that total support for this organization, which you know in the Twin Cities has really bloomed because we have some great leadership in town that is part of the leadership of the WCR, which is of course. Kim Bartman has been um, involved in it and Carrie Summer and Lisa Carlson from Chef Shack. You know, these, these women have really sort of pushed to really start that organization that supports young women who want to be in the culinary industry. And that is the key to making sure that they get that we have more women-owned businesses yeah. in the food co- you know, scene. It's really about that support. It's about that mentorship. It's about access. It's about helping people believe that it's a viable life for them and they can do it.
0: Yeah. Uh, we're going to see an uh, opening keynote this morning by Elizabeth Faulkner, who's the current president of mm-hmm. Women Chefs. Um, also, Kristen Lee Charlson, she is here. She is um, the executive director of the organization, and she's based in the Twin Cities. So right. that's when you talk about all this talent here. We're so lucky. Next year's going to be in New Orleans, yep. which will be super fun. New Orleans is such a great food town. It really is. Um, we are going to be having a guest coming up in a little bit. We're going to talk to Lori Willever. She's a writer, editor, and longtime assistant to the late Anthony Bourdain. She's also a host of her own podcast with Carbface for Radio. So that'll be fun to get oh, a good chat with her.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on today. We're at the Nicollet Island Pavilion, which is one of the great you know, event spaces. We've had a lot of events Ugh, here. I wanted to get married here so bad. I did get married here. Okay, <laughs> so we've got that going for us. Right. Didn't work out so well. But you <laughs> know what? Many, many more events are so much better than that, than that one event 15 years ago. So That's right. There That's we right. go. But honestly, what I love about it is, you know, it's got kind of a good historic feel, and it's on the river, and there's a lot of great, uh, there's a lot of space and everything else. But it's just, it's nice to see tables filled with community women and that's just I mean that's just kind of heartfelt
0: I think in true weekly dish style too we should mention the weather it's it's (laughs) right the date like April 28th it's a little
1: chills this morning (laughs)
0: it's like 38 the river is just raging outside and we have, like, uh, Patty is out there from Patty Soskin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Katie Gertis is out there from Angel Food Bakery. And Alicia Hinsey from Buttered Tin. And it's just like they're standing out there with their egg-chafing dishes and their on the beautiful croissants and biscuits. And yeah. it's freezing. It's, But it's not even that bad.
1: I mean, honestly, It'll get better as it's going to get 50. On. It is a typical spring Minnesota day, which is like you start out with your sweater and you that's end right. up, you know, in your flip-flops. And so that's good. Some of the things that happen at the WCR conference, um, I think, is important because it's not just drinks and parties, which of course I think it could be. <laughs> I mean, I honestly think with this level of uh, you know, lady industry types, it could be, and that would be fine too, but there's a lot of great um, discussions about things and about in the industry, and not just things like how do you get a good price for a case of shrimp, which is a thing that happens, (laughs) but also things like changing bro culture one chick at a time. That's an actual seminar, which I kind of love.
0: Yeah, there is a lot of addressing uh, equity, pay equity, parity in the marketplace, Yes, how to get heard. Um, Some of the skill sets that the people that have came to the conference last year have, I think, helped shape the programming. Yes, I think there's really great stuff. I love this one. You can call
1: me chef. Which is at two o'clock today, and it's uh, it's all about people who you know chefs, cooks, bakers. They all start in the business, talking ownership and pr- taking ownership and pride in their positions, and about the title has weight to it. And can people own it? Should they own it? Who gets to own it? It's kind of interesting. It's very interesting because especially because people in the uh, in the outside of the industry randomly sometimes call us chefs. You know, they're like because we cook something, and they're like, "Oh, you got labeled as a chef by somebody." And I was like, "She's not a chef. she's not a chef. She's, not a she's chef. barely
0: even a home cook. <clears throat> no,
1: <laughs> she's." But- Mom. There's there's a no, and you are a home cook and you can own that, but that distinction, that level of like that's respect we give to the people who have worked their butts off in kitchens,
0: commercial kitchens of some sort in in a business aspect to me. Here's another conversation that goes along with what you're saying. Um, apparently it's very common to call a man like chef chef Tim McKee, chef Thomas Famer, chef chef chef. Very few people actually in will call women chef They'll call her more likely by her name. Oh. I thought that was kind of interesting. Well, I would say that as someone who
1: writes that stuff a lot, I always say, if you if you run a kitchen of a restaurant, you're the chef. Yeah. So you get Chef Karen Tomlinson, Chef Ann Kim, all that kind of stuff. We make sure that we do that because when, if you do it for one, you do it for all.
0: Yeah, and I don't think I did a, a bunch of podcast clips last night. I don't think I called anybody chef, man or well, woman.
1: Well, person to person, it's less likely. It's okay. more in the writing
0: of it, I yeah, think. Because when you're designating someone
1: verse, you know and explaining on paper versus when you're eye to eye, I think it's less likely. But I'm very excited about
0: how honesty about failure can save us all. Yeah. Oh, my God. Patriarchy that says the patriarchy thrives on success. There's no room for failure. Although like you learn from burnout, from maybe not being your best self, from maybe having a failure in your past. That's how you get better. Yeah. But like, I don't know. Are we comfortable talking about all the times we've failed? Yeah, that's a toughie. And
1: I think that there's a side of the restaurant industry, which is, of course, you know, from the inside, just having been there in my past, too is just that idea of, like, everyone's kind of counterculture anyway, you know? Mm -hmm. And, I mean, there's a dark side to it, and there's a lot of people come to it because it's not cubicles and straight lines and, you know, a huge set of rules. There's a little bit more of a pirate attitude to it. And a lot of people come to it for that because that's the only place that they feel they fit. And I think there's some weird feelings in the industry about how to keep that essence and to keep that edge while making it a safe place still and also making it a place where people can grow. And I think that's something that to me is that's the balance. That's how we go, that's the question of the future. Is where can it be can it be a place that's a fertile ground for success for many many people but also still keep that sort of inside edge that gives it us that gives people who do not fit into, <laughs> into what I want to call normal society because of you know,
0: hours. Yes, or, the typical normal yeah.
1: things, and maybe society's changing too, so that that kind of
0: idea is. But you and know, freelance culture sort yeah. of breeds into that. Yeah, yeah.
1: So it's really about keeping the soul of something that is a little bit of an alternative, but also creating in it a space and a structure that allows for you know a general form of success across the board.
0: I had an interesting conversation with Marco Zappia yesterday, just talking about can. You create a cocktail culture or a bar culture that brings people up through the ranks, that gives them a paying living wage, that treats them with respect, both body, mind, and soul. It's a challenge. Well, let me tell you, and if you want to look at a model, Marco's bar
1: and his programming is a complete model for equity and for uh, he allows his people that he works with to get the limelight. He doesn't, there is almost zero ego to this man who is sort of a, a genius yeah
0: he really was we
1: profiled him in Minneapolis St. Paul magazine and there is a I mean just understanding that he was a child prodigy who went to Stanford and then dropped out and then really found his way into cocktail mixture and the way the things that he's doing now is breaking borders and really he's one of the most creative minds but yet he still has space to bring hospitality to his own team yeah you know Dustin who is one of his Dustin Wynn, he mentioned him, who is one of his protégés he won the punch kings for the cochon and this is a kid who is very he's not a big braggadocio you know form he's a very uh kind of a, a quiet guy yeah and he's this small dude who is just just as brilliant as marco you know in a lot of ways and marco doesn't it's you know he's very much always and as a member of the
0: media he's bringing him forward and saying have you seen what dustin's been doing he mentioned yesterday one of the things he said that struck me was he said that he was the barback for the female mixologist that was the team that he was bringing to this event. Yeah and just like him calling himself a barback, as I'm sitting there interviewing him I thought wow he's got a lot of presence and yeah. he was he named really- by Forbes as one of the yeah. 30 under 30 you know what I mean he's- I said who, how does Forbes do an article about Esquire. a Minneapolis bartender yeah
1: Esquire pulls him off as you know being the bar the bartender the barman of the year yeah so this is a man who could be a giant ego bomb and he's not and it's and part of that too is the drinks culture I think one of the things he's doing is to change the drinks culture and some of the women that work with him in his program, you know, there's just so much more of a nurturing space for them to become whoever they need to be. And I'm, I'm, as you can tell, hella grateful that he's here.
0: Yeah. And we are hella grateful to be here too, as we launch the Women's Chef uh, podcast. And we're going to go ahead and invite our next guest to join us. It'll be Lori Woliever. We'll be right back. I'm Stephanie Hansen here with... Stephanie Martin, And we are back. We are at the Women's Chef Conference in Minneapolis, 2019 conference. And we are launching uh, the Women's Chef Conference. Women's Chefs and tours. You have to say tours, Except they... We had the conversation about this. You did? Yeah. And a lot of their um, handles are womenschefs.org and women's So she likes to represent both. So we should be official.
1: Right. So restauranteurs. Yes. Not just chefs because bartenders... And, you know, managers, front of house managers are a part of this. Everybody's a part of this. Yes,
0: they are. And there's, I think, 400 people here yeah. that are here wow. for conference today. Uh, Lori Willever, uh, writer, editor, assistant to the late Anthony Bourdain, and co-host of another podcast, Carb Face for Radio. That's right. Is our guest yes. today. Welcome. Thanks Thank for being you. here. Thanks for having me. Um, have you been involved in Women's Chef Conference uh, activities before, or Women's Chef and Tours? No, not at all. This is my first. This oh. is my debut. This yeah. weekend. Yeah. <laughs> it's so fun to get everybody together. And um, maybe, I don't know, is it sad that we need to have an organization specifically for women? Well, I mean, that's a, that's a great question.
2: Uh, you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday about the uh, best female chef uh, designation right. and the wonderful Daniela Soto-Innes, who was just named best female chef in the world by one of these organizations that's sponsored by a water company or whatever it is and uh and you know this uh, this is a male friend who's a chef you know and he was saying well I think it's great you know it's like not letting women you know it's keeping women from getting lost in the shuffle and I said well that, that basically it's not great because it's making an assumption that chefs are men and then we have to make this special like coddled category for women and I think it's kind of bullshit there's, you know yeah
1: i mean and there are two camps people are saying that I, you know there's the camp that says you know we don't need that and then the other one are saying sort of like but at least we're getting at least we're getting one name out there because otherwise yeah. it's not going to happen but i kind of agree with you with more of the case of let's just let's just be more aware of mm-hmm. the equity in the whole pot yeah and then really focus on doing that instead of if she was you know great enough which she's wonderful she was in town to do a synergy series with gavin Kaysen. Mm. um uh, last, I think a couple months ago. But if she's good enough to be named by that, then why wouldn't she be in the same other pot? Right.
0: But right. isn't that kind of the rub with sort of feminism in general? It's like the more we want to belong, the mm-hmm. more sometimes we have to set up special designations so that we can get recognized along the way. And mm-hmm. I used to be like, well, I don't want a special title. And if I'm good enough to be on that board of that company, then I should earn my way on there. Mm-hmm. But that hasn't really worked for us. Right. Right.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that there's a lot of I, I do agree that just even getting people's, you know, getting the name Danielle's, you know, out there and and obviously Dominic Krenn and, mm-hmm. you know, all those mm-hmm. and making sure that they're a part of it. But I do believe that there's something about bringing up this next generation to be considered not. Not as an other, as far
0: as being female. Yeah, mm-hmm. And that, I think, is interesting in the kitchens, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Lori, did you start out your career as being a writer primarily?
2: Well, you know, in theory, yeah, I always wanted to be a writer. Uh, but I knew that that was going to be a really tough path to getting paid yeah <laughs> especially I imagine yeah. that <laughs> uh, you know I, I'm, I'm 45 years old so I, I got out of college in a time when there really wasn't a, a whole web world of opportunity yeah. for writing and it really was print and so you know my, my only goal out of college was to get my name in print and I thought maybe I'll never do it you know Um, So I knew I had to do something else. I loved cooking. So I actually, my first job um, that that stuck was as a private cook for a family. And then after that, I went to culinary school and pretty much right away realized that I was, my constitution was not compatible with the life of a
0: line cook. Yeah. Uh, Good to know and find out so early. Yeah. 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 So, but I
2: love the business and I love cooking. And so I, I, you know, I stuck it out in cooking school and I thought, well, maybe there's another way for me to do what I love without, you know, being a line cook, which I think will probably kill me. Uh, And so I was lucky to find other ways to, you know, to use my food knowledge and to use my writing passion and kind of forge a little strange path
0: for myself in the business. When you look at the magazines that you worked with and worked Mm -hmm. for, like what were some of your favorite? Well, I I really you know there were
2: only two that I was on staff. Uh, the first one was Art Culinaire Magazine, which is a you know long-standing, beautiful hardcover uh, oh, publication. Stephanie's with, heart uh, got warm have, when like, she saw I that. I have like I have a
1: little clutch, you know what I mean, uh, of my favorite uh-huh. ones up in my cookbook stack.
2: It's really beautiful and really singular. Uh, and I you know I got that job at a time when I I had never been an editor before, and I was it was one of those things where it was like well sink or swim, you know. And and I was able to figure it out. And that uh, was I was actually here in Minneapolis. In 2005, doing a shoot, um, and I, I brought the issue with me. Oh, uh, excellent! <laughs> and 2005. I don't know that any of the restaurants that we featured are still. I bet there's a Domico in there. Uh, in there was there. Uh, one called Restaurant Levan. Yeah, Levan. Uh, mm-hmm. Are they still around? In a In a form. Okay. Funny that you mentioned this. <laughs> let's say it's in a form. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like a story. Yeah. Uh, there Chef was,
0: Adam Vickerman just announced that he's in town and that he's not necessarily going to be relaunching the restaurant but potentially doing some pop-ups there
2: okay when we were here it was uh, a chef named Stephen Brown uh, he's yeah. still here okay and Stephen was the one who
1: sort of created Levan, Okay. you know what I mean and so that's kind of he was and of course he's gone on to create
2: other things that have been benchmarks for the city sure uh, there was a restaurant called Oraiga yep uh, I don't know I, I got the sense that they maybe didn't last much longer after our nope. shoot they actually after 2009 was when they closed okay and they funny enough
1: we are just having what we're calling an homage to them. There's oh. a there's a pop up from the Travail guys who are kind of the cutting edge generational chefs right now, uh-huh. and they uh, are doing an homage to Araga in the old Araga space. Oh, so wow. we're having
2: this like renaissance, you know, vision Amazing. thing. It is great. Uh, there was one called Restaurant Alma. Yep. Um, yep. Chef Which Alex. That's still around. Alex Roberts, one okay. of our James Beard Award winners. And then uh, it wasn't La Belle Vie. It was the uh, It was um, it was a Spanish place. Solera. Okay, yeah, which is where that's you where were last the event night. was last that's, night. okay, I yeah. thought it looked really familiar I was, um, so that's gone, okay, but yeah. um <laughs> <laughs> but that's the tide, right? I mean yeah. that's the way that
1: it goes, and that yeah as far as chronicling, it's great to have like those pieces mm-hmm. of memories in in print. I will say, let's shout out for print, yeah, mm-hmm. and I know but you know, and it's funny because but it is true that things cycle through in an mm-hmm. in a scene mm-hmm. like this.
2: Yeah. I mean, real estate is such a huge part of that. I'm, I'm guessing it's not so dissimilar from New York here in Minneapolis that people sign 10-year leases and you have a great run and then suddenly it's, you know, your rent uh, doubles and you got to make a hard decision about what to do. Yeah. And so it's it seems like that's the life cycle. And if a restaurant can make it past 10 years in New York, it's, it's a big deal. Yeah, you know? yeah. We're facing some minimum wage issues, you know, um, here. And this is a topic among
1: a lot of restaurateurs in terms of trying to figure out how to... You know, provide living wage for their employees, Mm -hmm. but then also create a profitable, you know, margin so that they can actually own something and not be underwater. Yeah, (laughs) all the time. Yeah,
0: um, you had the pleasure of working with uh, Chef Anthony Bourdain. Can mm-hmm. you talk about when you met him? Sure. Uh, so I met him in 2002.
2: Uh, I had just I was just finishing up working for Mario Batali. I was his assistant for about three and a half years, and I was getting ready to leave there. We had done a lot of work on cookbooks together, mm-hmm. and Tony was looking to start to do a cookbook and needed somebody to help him out in the same capacity. So Mario actually introduced us back then, and we worked together on the Layal Cookbook, which came out in 2004. So that was sort of a limited partnership. I mean, I didn't see him very much. He was already really busy and traveling, but it was great. I mean, he was a fantastic um, collaborator. He was very generous and gave me a lot of, you know, room to um, just do my work. And, uh, and gave me a really beautiful hyperbolic shout out in the acknowledgements, <laughs> which I'll always, I was just shocked when I got the print copy of the book and saw what he had said about my work. So that was the beginning. And then there was a number of years where I did, I was working for Art Culinaire and then I went to Wine Spectator and then I had a baby and then I was looking to do something else uh, outside of the full time uh, realm. And I reached out to him and, you know, dozens of other people and just said, I'm looking for part-time work, you know, here's my skills, I, I'm really flexible. And it just so happened that he was looking for a new assistant at that time. And it was just happened to be that week. You know, I felt extraordinarily lucky. So he hired me then to be his assistant. That was 2009. And we worked together up until, you know, June. And he, it, he died last year. So.
0: Yeah. What a loss for the community and what a mm-hmm. loss for you personally.
2: Yeah, it really was. I mean, it's still something that I'm still processing every day and with my colleagues. And, uh, you know, it's just and I'm going to talk about that a little bit today in my speech um, about mental health and about the industry. And, you know, he was somebody who got out of the industry 20 years ago, but was such an admirer of it and a lover of it and somebody that really tried to boost up everyone in the business and, and bring you know, respect and dignity to these jobs that, you know, often are not paid enough and, and are, you know, so grueling. So it's been, it's been really hard to sort of figure out a, a way forward, but uh, and that's you, kind of all we can do. Yeah. yeah.
1: At Voyage Healthcare, we are still open and ready to see you for injuries, chronic conditions, med checks, and acute care. If you are concerned about safety, call to schedule a video visit. If you believe that you have been exposed to the coronavirus or are experiencing any symptoms, please do not come into the office call our coronavirus hotline at 763-587-7900. That number is also found on the voyagehealthcare.com webpage. Thanks, my talkers. At Voyage Healthcare, we are here on the journey with you.
0: And having worked with Mario Batali too, Mm -hmm. you've seen some of these really big names have a lot of personal struggles and been sort of on the front line. Um, How do you feel like we'll come out on the other side of all that? Like, well, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, there's definitely two different circumstances. Yes,
1: yeah, for sure. I don't, I guess, that <laughs> don't work equate them Yeah, you kind of <laughs> equated to badness. And well, I didn't mean to. I just no, meant, like, yeah. you
0: personally interacted with these very larger-than-life people yeah. that had sort of tragic things happen. Yeah, absolutely. Let me, just, let
1: me just come back to something, though, because it's not, I mean, I canonizing them is one thing, you know, as because they were on TV and they had big things. But mm-hmm. really, I would like to almost bring it back down to the fact that they were, I mean, like, Anthony Bourdain is a kitchen guy. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And the pressures of life are one thing, but Mm -hmm. there's something about this industry Mm -hmm. and about the way that it is, like what I was just saying, it's Mm counterculture. There are darknesses in it that people in the regular life can't understand. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's more important to address because it doesn't, it takes it off the stage of like, it can only, like, well, crazy that it can only, can it happen to him? It can, it does happen all the time Mm -hmm. to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's something about that. And in terms of addressing Mental illness in the industry, mm-hmm. and and it's it's important to take that down to the granular level instead of taking one person and sort of canonizing that situation. Sure, you know sure. what I mean?
2: Yeah. And you know, you said about Mario. I mean, I would not say that you know what what happened to him was a tragedy it, for him. Per, well, I'm sure it was. It felt tragic to yeah. him. I don't. I can't speak for him, and I haven't spoken to him about it. But um, I think it was the tragedy was for the people who work for him, yeah. people who went into partnership with yes. him. Um, you know, not all the restaurants survived. Not yeah. it's it's they've really taken a hit, um, and that's it's it's very complicated. I have a lot of complicated feelings about
0: that situation. Um, I was just in uh, <laughs> Las Vegas where they have launched Italy, uh, uh-huh. and I just couldn't walk through there without yeah. thinking about him, which mm-hmm. is
1: sad to me because that is an organization that he's, you know, that that's there's so many other people involved, I know. and it's a yeah. massive company across mm-hmm. the globe. I know, and Lydia and had to have all their products there. To have that
2: mm-hmm. be poisoned by his actions, that's to me that is the tragedy. Yeah, you know, yeah. So, you know, I think about him. I think, I mean, he's a human being. I got to know him yeah. very well when I worked for him. And, you know, I saw all the good and the bad. And, you know, I've, before all of this happened, I was very vocal about saying that, you know, he was somebody who gave me a lot of opportunities. And, you know, it was an amazing education to work so closely with him and his, you know, really the incredible people that he was able to bring on board
0: yeah. um, to, to do the, the work. Uh, so. And haven't we all had, like, I don't know, I, in the restaurant business, I can think of, managers mentors people Mm -hmm. that I'm wondering now if they're treating people a little bit differently than they treated me then as a 19 20 year old woman
2: yeah let's hope I mean I hope that's the upshot is that people are more thoughtful and you know not just because they're worried about getting uh you know me too'd as a verb or you know having their careers destroyed but because it's the right thing to do to treat everyone with respect and you know keep your hands
0: to yourself yeah. and not it's, you know <laughs> it would like that's such a big ask yeah you know, yeah both in politics and entertainment and yeah. oh, maybe just the, the world maybe that's the lesson <laughs>
1: yeah well I do think there's something to say about you know building communities and and that helps people who can su- supporting people to be believed mm-hmm. in these cases and also to be heard and I think that's I think that's how we move forward. And we're talking Mm -hmm. about, you know, things like this, the WCR, and things like people, you know, kind of banding together because that's how things change. I mean, Me Too worked because it is a lot of voices, not just one person waving a flag. And
0: that when you see something in the workplace, you feel empowered to be like, hey, that's not okay. There were a lot of things I know all of us have seen where we were just like, oh, wow, I can't believe he did that. But then we didn't do anything about it. Right,
2: right. There's so much fear, I think. I know that I've been in plenty of workplaces that are ruled by fear. And it's sort of an either you're with us or you're against us. And, you know, all of these cliché stitches get stitches. And, (laughs) you know. Love that one. Yeah. (laughs) So, and I'm, you know, I was, I'm as guilty as the next person of just sort of going along with that culture. I mean, I was in my twenties, I was right out of cooking school. I had this great job and I thought, well, I'm, you know, it's, I'm either going to try and be one of the boys or I'm going to be a problem and I'm yep. going to be a buzzkill. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to be that. You I know? felt the same exact way.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think, the same exact well, right. and a lot of us who are sort of, you know, again, it's like we're, the, we're not those women that fit into the normal, you know, standards. And so yep. you kind of have this thing like, well, I don't know where I fit. And so, like, I'll let you do you and I'll do me and all this kind of stuff. And then yeah. even when you're like, oh, I, I really don't like that. Right. I don't want you, know? you doing you that much. Yeah, <laughs>
0: right. Could you do you a little less? Yeah, a little less
1: over there. <laughs> that's true. So what's next for you? I mean, like doing the podcast is important. Mm-hmm. And so. what do you what is your podcast, you know, give us kind of the the elevator speech on the podcast?
2: So, it's a great question. I know. I'm, I'm like, "Oh." I'm Are not you really just of sure. doing what podcast? We're figuring it out. Yeah, well. And why then, did you start a podcast? Well, I had no Desire to really, uh, but my partner Chris, uh, um, my podcast partner, reached out to me. He heard me being interviewed on a podcast, and uh, he was somebody I knew from Twitter. I actually didn't know his name. I didn't even know if he you was just a man knew or his woman. handle. I just knew his handle, which is shit food blogger. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> and uh, he reached out to me and said, "You know, you have a great voice. You're funny. Do you want to do a podcast?" And I said, "No, yeah, <laughs> you know, I don't have time for that, and I just didn't have any, you know, sense." And he kind of talked me into it. Um, we met and we we clicked. You know, we. They have a very similar sense of humor. And he's not in the business, but he's a keen observer of the business. And uh, he and his wife had a, a food blog for a while. They got a little bit fed up with some of the politics yeah. and the weirdness around food blogging. And so he just got very cynical and uh, became sort of this mouthpiece. I mean, a lot of people will backchannel him and say, this is going on and it's not great in my workplace. And because he has no dog in the fight and you know he doesn't have anything to lose, he'll, he'll shout it out yeah. on Twitter. And he kind be- of became this lightning rod for yeah. controversy so it's a great position for him to be in you know he's got a lot of opinions and he doesn't have you know his job is totally outside the realm of of this stuff so we just thought well let's do it it'll be fun and actually I told Tony that we were um developing it and you know completely shocking to me he said oh my god that's great I want to be involved like how can I help you I want to boost you up you like put my name on it you know I'll help you guys however you want and let's see if we can like you know get you some money um we're still not seeing any money. Like <laughs> I was gonna say, money podcasting. Like, come yeah. on, money, awesome. No, yeah. no, no. It was yeah. funny. He, I mean, he had this very funny. He was like, "Do you know how much money Joe Rogan makes off his podcast? Yeah, he's alone. Uh, yeah. By <laughs> the way, right? Yeah. Top
0: five, top ten, maybe. Yeah. So,
2: um, but it was great. You know, it was such an amazing thing for him to just generously, you know, offer his time. So we made him our executive producer, which was kind of a bit of an honorary title. Yeah. But he would come in and record with us, and we'd have this um, advice column, or he would we would ask him advice questions, and he would just kind of you know be him. Himself. Roll, yeah, yeah. Um, so it was great. You know, I think it probably gave us a little boost. But it's funny; you really still have to hand sell a podcast, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. listener by listener. And um, you know, we're not we're not monetized yet. Like, I don't know if we'll ever have sponsors because yeah. we have to sort of hit
0: a certain threshold of subscribers. So subscribe
2: to Carface, but do it. radio. Let's
0: do it. <laughs> Does it? Is it weird because he's. In some ways, that's a little bit like Steph and I, because I'm sort of the outsider person mm-hmm. in that I don't work in the day to day food business in town. Mm-hmm. I'm more of the eater, and she's the expert. Mm-hmm. Does that create conflict for you? Like, because sometimes I'll say stuff, and Stephanie's <laughs> like, "Oh, thanks for sharing that." Yeah, <laughs> more I mean, about facts. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm more like the high level, just like looking at it, and she's like, "No, right. we need to share these factual things." Right, right. Yeah, I mean, there are
2: times when I will sit back and let Chris say things that I mean sometimes I I agree or I don't but I feel like yeah Yeah. I've got my you know my relationships in the business I've been in this world for uh, over 20 years and so I would say it creates conflict but I definitely um, you know I let him do sort of more of the trash talking yeah um And, uh, but it's, you know, we, we have total control over it, which is the good thing. And we, you know, we edit out, you know, we might have a really lively discussion and then listen to it later and go, you know what, like that's going to hurt somebody's feelings or that's going to, you know, jeopardize my ability to work for that magazine in the future or whatever. So we kind of, you know it's just the two of us making the calls which is a really nice thing and you know I would love to be with a with a network and have sort of a bigger um, platform but at the same time I know you always give up a little bit of control yeah. in those situations mm-hmm. so we're trying to be really careful about how we grow and just make sure that we've always got the final say on you know what it, what's actually going out there in the world well you're
0: the inaugural podcast guest on Women Chef and Restaurant Tours oh, wow. podcast yeah. so that's Fantastic. exciting you can say you were the first there yes I will I will shout it out you um. <laughs> <laughs> You mentioned that I could ask you about your sobriety, and my family is all about adult children of alcoholics, Mm -hmm. and that's been something that's been big in my life. When Mm -hmm. did you get sober? So I stopped drinking
2: uh, two years ago, a little over two years ago, uh, and that was uh, a great decision (laughs) and probably something I should have decided a long time before that, but it took me till then. And then, just in the last six months, I stopped smoking pot, which okay. was kind of my first love. And it's you know it's interesting; it's become so much more acceptable in our yeah. culture in the last yeah. five years, and almost promoted, and it's legalized. You know, in more and, and more it's states. Like, oh, it's just pot. Yeah, and so for it took me a much longer time to think to realize. This is also not serving me anymore, you know I, I loved it, it was fun, it helped me relax, but at some point it didn 't you know and it was yeah. start, it was it was harming me not in the same ways as alcohol, but it wasn 't serving me, and it wasn 't helping me kind of move forward in my life so I stopped that six months ago. So I've been, I'd like to say I've been completely sober for, for six months. Do you work a program? I do, yeah. yeah. And
0: what kind of insights do you think you've gleaned from that? Like, you must have just a different pair of glasses that you're looking through. Absolutely. I think, you know, one of the most, the tenets
2: that's, that have really... The tenet that's really resonated with me the most in the program is this idea of rigorous honesty, uh, and it's you know it's in my sobriety, but also in every aspect of my life, you know. And I think I in as an as a heavy drinker and a pot smoker and someone who was just trying to manage all these different things, uh, I, I got kind of got away from that, mm-hmm. and so it's you know it's always right now a guiding principle. Like if I need to make a decision about something, I can always go back and say, well, what's you know. Through the lens of rigorous honesty, what's the right thing to do? And it's just really simple, and it makes things really easy. It sounds appealing. (laughs) Well, and,
1: yeah, the fog of chemicals, of all that kind of stuff, just kind of gives you, and and that's why a program is, I love people who are like, I'm going to go cold turkey, and I'm like, well, Mm -hmm. that's good, but just also maybe some structure to help get you through. And to
0: deal with, there's the dry drunk culture. A lot of people quit drinking, but they never deal with the underlying issues about what they were struggling with or why they felt like they couldn't show up just as themselves without being chemically impaired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So bravo. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's, I think mental illness and, and, uh, and addiction kind of go hand in hand and, you know, people are self, I mean, I know I was self-medicating to deal with depression and anxiety and then when you take away those chosen medications that those things remain and so that's the the program is great for also just handling those things a day at a
0: time as and they And isn't say. it funny mm-hmm. like a lot of people with anxiety start to smoke pot because yeah. they get that like relief from it mm-hmm. but then it feels like that over time that creates more anxiety than yeah. the relief it provides and it's a sort of vicious mm-hmm. cycle. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean for, you know for people who can drink safely and responsibly and people who can smoke pot safely like bravo. Yeah. You know? Like, I know do you, but for there's, me, it, I couldn't. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of, with the
1: legalization of pot, there's mm-hmm. a lot of, it's, it's obviously leaking into the food industry in terms mm-hmm. of the edibles. And I have people saying, Hey, we want to throw a cannabis dinner. And I personally, because of stuff in my family, don't partake in pot. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, for me, it's, there's an ethical place for myself, mm-hmm. but I find that hard. Cause I'm like, I can't cover your dinner. Cause I can't ingest this yeah. com- this stuff. And I, but I think about it in terms of like it is becoming so normalized that we as writers and editors we have to figure out how to communicate it differently about it mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. sort of as it is a controlled substance and it is something that will change you know the way you act and everything mm-hmm. but yet it's gone from this sort of illicit sort of hidden thing to now out in the open and then but it because it's giving that shine and people are like, yes, it's fine. Everybody loves it. It's fine. And then you, like some of us are still like, well, just hold on. Yeah.
0: Just remember, you know, and so. Right. And Marco Zappia said something yesterday when I was talking to him. He said, well, you know, we are peddling a drug. Yeah. Mm. Which I thought was mm-hmm. a really interesting statement to come from someone who's been lauded as uh, the incoming generation for his um his uh Practice. occupation yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. did he mean like the whole like
2: hospitality bartend? experience yeah or, or he, alcohol
0: he or? meant alcohol uh-huh. that you know he's he's creating and crafting and obviously he's done, doing things that aren't alcohol related too mm-hmm. but yeah wow. and he just he said he has that. a respect for that too yeah. you know what i mean yeah. but i mean that's and the thing you is. and a lot of times the bartenders are kind of the gatekeeper of what is happening in a restaurant you have people sitting at the bar they're we've read a lot about people having codes to like say to the woman like is this person bothering you or how can we help you get into a better situation yeah yeah
2: you know the thing with with pot sort of becoming more normalized too is you know I have a 10 year old son and I thought first of all like I can't I can't keep smoking pot in the house Yeah, you know? like <laughs> this kid's gonna figure yeah. it out but also I mean I really worry you know and I, I really I, <laughs> I want to apologize to my parents because I, I did Here not I did not understand <laughs> their concerns and their fears when I was a teenager and I thought they were just being unreasonable squares yeah <laughs> yeah and now you know I mean he's 10 I still have a lot of control over what he does but you know not for much longer and so it's a real it's a Real, I mean, we smell pot on the street all the time in New yeah. York. It's just everywhere. It is, you know. It is. I know, and I've... it's
0: hard to talk about with your kid. Yeah, it's it's easy. Like I can talk about addiction in our family. I can mm-hmm. talk about her propensity to be addicted. She's got anxiety as well, so we talk about how to deal with that. And CBD oil, you know, mm. was the beginning. And my daughter loves pot, and she's mm. twenty years old, and trying to frame up like okay if you love it now but are you making good choices and do you know if you cross that line will you know if you've crossed that line like I just want to have conversation around this so if you get to the point where you're feeling like it's unmanageable or you're coping with it too much like that you can come to me but that's really all I can do and it's frightening
2: yeah yeah it is I mean the hardest thing was when my son said did you ever smoke pot? Yeah. (laughs) I've gotten that question. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I said, I mean, I didn't lie, but I didn't tell him the whole truth. I just said, Uh, yeah, in college. Yeah. (laughs) That's what we said too. I have in the past. The past was yesterday,
1: (laughs) but I can just say in the past and that'll be fine. Yeah. Well, yeah. so.
0: I really appreciate you being here today. Thanks Thank for you. supporting the Women's Chef Conference and for being their first official podcast guest. Yes. And say Thank it again, Lori, Lori Willever, what is your podcast name again? It's called Carb Face for Radio. Yes. And do you have any um, articles coming out or are you working on any books that people can look for? I'm working on two books. Uh, they're both about Tony. Uh, one was
2: one that we started before he died. It is a travel book that's sort of a guide, basically his guide to the world. You know, Of all the places that he traveled in the world, these are are sort of his favorite locations Uh, in every place. Oh, that'll be great. So it's this very highly curated list of his, you know, everything. Uh, And then I'm also working on an oral biography project. So that's doing interviews with about 150 people who knew him, you know, from his mother and other family members to colleagues and, you know, associates across the board and just trying to tell his, you know, some other piece of his story through the people that knew him and loved him and have great stories to tell.
0: It makes me a little sad that he didn't get the opportunity to know how impactful he was to so many people Mm -hmm. and in our industry and as a storyteller. Mm -hmm. He was such a wonderful storyteller. Mm -hmm.
2: He really was.
0: And I'm glad that those stories will continue on through you. So thanks for doing that. And thanks for being our guest today. Thank you. Oh, what a great interview with Lori Willever.
1: I mean, honestly, just it's so nice to see people finding different ways to express their ideas in this industry, be it podcast, be it book, be it, you know, uh, you know, print all of those things. I love the fact that we have ways to express our voices and that people are coming up with new ways to get those ideas out to people. I love that. How
0: great too, that she's going to help tell some more stories because that was,
1: that was exciting. Yeah.
0: Very, very. And she seems uniquely positioned to be able to kind of understand maybe the way he would present the material Mm -hmm. and really just great. I'm excited about, uh, hearing what comes next for her.
1: Yeah. And you know, again, to be attached to someone like, uh, Tony, who has, I think, who was such a creative soul and was so supportive. And he was, when she was like, oh, he wanted to be a executive producer. That was surprising. I'm like, I'm not surprised. Like I, I absolutely, that is part of his mythos is that he was, he saw talent and he saw people and he wanted to help bring them up.
0: I love so, that. So I
1: thought that was really excellent. That made me happy.
0: All right. So this is the first episode of the uh, Women Chef and Restaurant Tours podcast uh, presented by Front of the House, which is the conference sponsored today. Also an episode of The Weekly Dish. Yes. And I'm just, again,
1: the fact that the WCR is putting out podcasts again is another way to let women's voices get out there and the voices on the issues that matter. And so hopefully that's going to be something that can last for a long, long time. Yeah, I hope so too. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for everything.
2: This is a summer to stay connected locally from the pandemic to protest to the upcoming election. There is so much information to take in and on pod MN, you can access hundreds of Minnesota made podcasts on one app, current events, health information, political talk. Plus you'll find podcasts about sports, true crime, and more pod MN also comes with listener rewards. In July, you can win gift cards to local restaurants, shops, and more just for listening. Download pod MN on your phone's app store or learn more by visiting podmn.com. Minnesota podcasts live, here.